Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Hi, everyone. Elaine and Diane here. And we know that you want your complex kids to grow up to be happy and independent. And yet you're not always sure how or when to help with that. In this podcast, we'll encourage you to collaborate with all kinds of complex kids and support them in navigating life and learning. And we'll interview leading experts from around the world, as well as parents in our own community, talking about how training for parents actually helps these complex kids. We'll talk about the issues we hear parents struggling with all the time and how a coach approach can support and empower your amazing young people. We won't tell you what to do. We're going to help you figure out how. So let's move on to the next conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. We are so excited. You got both of us here today, and we're really excited to be having a conversation with Rebecca Jackson from Brain Balance. You know, Brain Balance has been on our minds, no pun intended, for years, actually. So we are super, super excited to be having this conversation. Welcome, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here as well. So let's just kick off by asking you to tell us what happened in your world that got you to be doing the work that you do with parents of complex kids or with kids themselves, actually, in your sense. And what is it that you do? You know, I love that question. I'll try to answer it fast. I tend to be long winded. (laughs) But, you know, I myself was a young parent. I had a, a toddler and I was pregnant with number two. And I wanted to learn everything I could about development from the parent perspective. I wanted to know beyond singing songs and playing patty cake what I could be doing and why to help set my kids up for success. So I happened to start taking a series of courses on the neurology of pediatric disorders. And the very first course I took was the neurology of dyslexia. And I called my husband who was traveling with his dad at the time. And I said, Doug, you're dyslexic. And he laughed and said, no, I'm not. I'm 36. I I would know. And I was like, you are. And his dad pipes up in the background and said, oh yeah, you are. Did we forget to mention that? (laughs) That sort of sparked a whole conversation in our household. That's great. I was almost 40 when I discovered it. So, and it was because of my kids. So I love this story. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, my husband, he's brilliant. He went to Vanderbilt. He's had a very successful career. And as you know, dyslexia has nothing to do with intelligence, but as I was learning about it, I was like, this is a real life description of my husband and how he functions. And um, his mom had passed away years ago. So I never had the opportunity to have this conversation with his mom and talking to his dad about it was so funny where they saw Doug's intelligence from early on, but then saw some struggles with school the first couple of years. And he was a second child. And so they knew it looked different than it had with his older sister. And so they had him diagnosed and made the parenting decision to not say anything to him because they didn't want any titles or any thoughts to hold him back from what he thought he could be capable of himself. And honestly, I think his dad simply forgot about it over the years. Um, so, so that sparked such an interest of, oh my gosh. And at the time he was told there was nothing you could do about it. He'll outgrow it, which both of those things we know now are not true. (laughs) But then the parent in me who was already interested went, oh my gosh, there's a higher likelihood that that could apply to one of our kids. And I want to know what's happening in the brain and what can I do from day one to facilitate success so that there's not an added challenge that maybe 
could be lessened. Well, and one of the things I learned, because in my family as well, uh, dyslexia is 100% genetic, right? If you've got a kid with dyslexia, you have a parent with dyslexia. Like You just have to no... figure out which one it is. Right, right. <laughs> so the likelihood, as you say, of, of one of your kids having it was pretty high. Right? Yeah, that took an interest that I had and like way turned up the dial on it. And then it got my husband starting to think and talk about it as well. And so he came home from that trip and I said, I've got a new life plan for us. Will you just listen for a little bit? Because my, my vision of staying home to be a focused mom for years went out the window. I was driven to what can I do today to help kids succeed? I don't want to wait five years to start that when we could start working on that now. And I think because Because of Doug's own personal experience, he went, huh, I wonder what my life would have looked like had Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to do some of these things when I was young. Yeah, Yeah. let's do this. So, you know, like so many things, it started with a spark of interest and topics I love to learn about. I love neurology. And the more I learn, the more I feel like I know nothing. But it took a topic that I was already interested in and made it personal. And so then it became that much more of a focus for our family, not just myself. My husband and I have worked together now for over 14 years. So he's in the business with you. He is. We actually owned and ran um, three centers together in the Southeast for a decade. And then when we had the opportunity, um, I'm on the home office executive team now. Um, And so the board didn't want us owning centers and working on that team. And so we transitioned. So um, Doug still works in a consult role, um, consultant role for brain balance. um, And I'm on the the home office team. That's beautiful. So, you know, we're going to put information about brain balance in the show notes and people will be able to look it up and find out what it is. And Diane asked you before we started, so let's go to what is it about the work that you're doing that's, whether it's brain balance or something else, that's relevant to all of the parents listening? What's the value or the the goal of what you're doing? The value and goal of what we're doing is really fundamentally optimizing brain wellness. Our brain is so complex and it underlies absolutely everything we do. It has an impact on how we feel, our emotions, our focus, our impulse control, our ability to dream up a plan and execute on it. Our brain underlies all of that. And so to me, that understanding that we have the opportunity to influence that in a positive way with the right knowledge and with the right tools and plan It's just something I, you know, a year, a decade and a half later, I still get excited about um, and still continue to to learn and grow as much as I can in that area. So brain wellness, optimizing brain performance to be your best self. Well, and what's fascinating to me is just how much the the science has evolved over the last 20, 30 years in your lifetime, in my lifetime. It's just amazing. And to be kind of on the front edge of this whole thing. I mean, what are the things we know now about brain wellness that, you know, are still feel like every day to us, but are still kind of new. You know, I love that question because I feel like I've watched this so closely, the evolution of going from research to common knowledge, everyday conversations. And when we first got involved with brain balance, the concept of neuroplasticity was new in the community. Maybe it was there in the research for decades, but shortly after we opened our first center in North Carolina, there was a Time Cover Magazine article and the word neuroplasticity was on the cover of Time. And we were like, yes, we're in the right place at the right time. This is starting to become a more everyday reachable conversation to know 
that the brain can change at any age. We were so entrenched in this early intervention thought process. And absolutely, the sooner we can identify a challenge and get resources in place, the better. But there's not a cliff where it falls off and you're no longer able to change or influence or improve the brain. So to know at any age, we can still influence the brain. And just the parent in me wants to help as soon as I can to help that forward trajectory. So I love the evolution of the understanding of neuroplasticity in the brain can change. So will you define neuroplasticity? Because we're starting with the assumption that people know what it is. And it's one of those terms that's used a lot that everybody may not understand. Neuroplasticity translates to neuro means brain and plasticity means plastic. It means changeable, malleable. And this concept really came from studying stroke and brain injury, where researchers saw that just because an individual lost a function or ability didn't mean that it was lost permanently. They could regain that function. So all of a sudden there was this aha moment that didn't just apply to a pathology or a stroke or an injury. There was this opportunity to change networks and pathways in the brain through specific stimulation and exercise. So it's both, well, and I've heard it in kind of the language and thought process side of it. So what you're saying is that it's, you can change the brain physic to engage with your body physically, but we also know that if you've got a negative thought pattern or, you know, something that, you know, that you're kind of stuck in the rut around the way stinking thinking is what I would call it, <laughs> that you could also kind of use neuroplasticity as a way to rewire those challenging the, thoughts the as thought well. patterns. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. So for you, this is about really maximizing people's opportunity to have the the sort of most, you know, Ferrari brain that we can have, if you will. Yes, I want a Ferrari brain for sure. Well, you know, and, and you have one. The question is, how do we make that happen? Like, I think part of what happens when we have kids with these complex issues is they have impediments that stand in the way of their brain being as efficient or, or effective as possible. And so let's talk a little bit about brain training. What is that? You know, brain training is an interesting concept. And to me, there's, there's more that goes with it than simply brain training. So often when you hear the word brain training, to me, I picture repetition, skill and drill. Of I'm going to exercise this very particular part of my, my brain. And we want to make sure that when we're exercising and engaging the brain, that we're improving not just that thing that you're practicing, but improving other aspects and quality of life as well. So maybe you're doing a, you know, Sudoku memory task where you're doing math and maybe by doing Sudoku, you're getting much better at Sudoku. But the question is, is it also helping you to improve your working memory when you're trying to remember your grocery store list at the grocery store and you forgot the list at home or you're trying to focus in the face of distractions? So to me, brain training is one element that goes into a total package to support brain performance. So you want to also strengthen the underlying pieces that gets to the point of helping the brain remember. And so the goofy analogy I use all the time is you can't frost a cake before you bake it. So to me, practicing the brain training and the Sudoku type exercises is frosting the cake. You first 
need the batter and to bake that cake before we can pull it all together. Um, And so to me, it's always about going back to the basics. How does your brain take in sensory information and block out distractions? Because if your brain is is hypersensitive to noise or, or touch, it's going to be harder for you to remember information and focus. And so practicing memory or focus, if there's an underlying complication that's going to minimize that, isn't always the most efficient way to get there. And so if we can build a stronger foundation so that you have more success in all things, then whatever it is that you're doing and practicing, whether it's brain training, whether it's a child working on sight words, whether it's you know a high school um, student working on memorizing the periodic table for chemistry, if your brain takes in information in an efficient manner, blocks out distractions, you're going to be more successful in all those things that you do on top of it. Well, you know, well, it's and- interesting. I was just, hang on just real quick. Yeah. Cause I was, I was talking with a client this morning who has ADHD and adult mom. I'm an adult mom with ADHD. And we were talking about working memory and this issue of how do I get it from short-term memory to long-term memory so that I can retrieve it at a later time, which is a big challenge for adults, for everybody with ADHD, probably. And then think of, you know, I just saw a headline this morning talking about adults with anxiety and they're wanting to make that a standardized screening now. And I something that's overlooked is how much our working memory, our attention and focus plays into anxiety. Because if you know that that's going to be a harder task for you, think of the pressure that that puts on you to achieve that task and how that contributes to your anxiety. And so to me, all of these pieces come together. And so what can we do foundationally to enhance all of that and optimize working memory to long-term memory and and all the things that go along with it, minimize anxiety. Yeah. So what are some of the things you're thinking about in terms of foundation? I mean, what's the cake and the the ingredients in the cake? (laughs) You know, um, sensory to me is one of the most important ingredients in, in baking any cake or brain is the way our brain takes in sensory information is what grounds us and orients us in the world. And so right now, as the three of us are having this conversation, I'm listening to the words you're saying, I'm watching your faces on camera to see, okay, have I completely confused you? Or is this making a little bit of sense? I hope I'm blocking out the fact that my son's on fall break and has a friend over and is doing who knows what in the kitchen right now. So in order for me to have this conversation effectively, my sensory system has to be dialed in, giving me the right information at the right time. Mm -hmm. So and sensory is not just a four-year-old who doesn't like tags and textures and doesn't like when their hands get dirty. Sensory is is also a 45-year-old going to the mall, back to school clothes shopping, and there's the fluorescent lights and cinnamon smells coming at you. And if our brain processes or takes in sensory information in a distorted or different way, it's going to give me different information about the world, and it's going to change my ability to effectively interact with the world. Well, and even just, so there's part of this, which is distorted or not, part of it is just the way your brain works, right? It's just sort of, I tend to be more of a visual person. My partner is an auditory person. You know, I'll say, you know, Hey, you want to read this article? He'll be like, read it to me. If somebody tries to read something to me, I can't, I'm like, hand me the phone. Let me read it because I, I process visually. And so part of this is, I'm guessing understanding 
where your strengths are in terms of the way you tend to process information. Is that part of this as well, Rebecca? Absolutely. I would say that. And then I would take that one step further to say what you just shared with me, not only as a strength, but an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So for your husband that says, read it to me, what that tells me is when he's looking at something visually, he's not processing potentially as effectively as efficiently. So he's saying, Hey, let me use my fastest, most effective pathways to listen to this article to take it in and really digest it. But I see that as opportunity. What if for your husband, we had him practice some visual processing exercises and activities that strengthen his visual processing so he could be equally successful processing information in both ways. And, you know, when we think about kids in the classroom, um, so much of their learning is auditory. There's printed materials in front of them, but teachers talking at them all day long. And so if they're a visual learner and they have areas for opportunity in their auditory pathways and processing, that's going to contribute to their positive experience in the classroom, being able to listen to the directions and apply them. So mm-hmm. I look at, it's great to know your strength, but it's also great to know where do I have opportunity to improve so I can be successful in any environment. I don't want to have to modify an environment for somebody to be successful in an ideal world. Mm-hmm. I want to know what those the pieces are. So we know here's how we make it better. You know, in the world, particularly I'm thinking about ADHD, you know, there's a lot of evidence about playing to the strengths. And so there's this dance between not wanting to be so focused on the deficits that we're, you know, avoiding the strengths. And what I hear you saying is is a yes and is let's play to the strengths and then let's try to strengthen those other areas. And what came up as you were talking about sensory like people are always asking, you know, is there more autism? Is there more ADHD? Why is it so much more diagnosed now? And what I'm realizing just in listening to you is there is so much sensory input now that we live in, in our daily lives, all of us in a way that we couldn't even fathom 20 years ago, that the capacity to be with all of that sensory input has shifted And so part of what you're talking about is it's all the more important in this very sensory rich world that we live in to be able to process that input. Can you speak to that a little bit? You framed that up so beautifully and not just we're in such a sensory rich environment Mm -hmm. and there's a cost to how we process that sensory information. Taking that in isn't free to our brain. My brain's having to process that information, which is why you know, I don't want to go to the mall right before Christmas because I will leave feeling drained and irritable because of that sensory load and cost. So there's a cost for pain and we all get to a point where we, we run out of funds and we can only do so much. And then it results in lack of focus, lack of control. So my temper is going to go through the roof. We're going to lose control to be our effective best selves. So there's a cost to that sensory input, but also consider what we've gone through these last couple of years. We have had massive shifts and changes in our sensory world where we went from full volume with our sensory world of running in a million directions, you know, going to work, running the kids all over the place. And then all of a sudden the dial didn't get turned down. It got turned off. And then suddenly right. we were home and think about and then it got turned back on and everybody went, what? 
it got turned back on when it had been off for a very long time. And so that was even more overwhelming. And we had brains that were fatigued from prolonged stress and change. Mm -hmm. So, you know, boy, there's a lot lot of added complications on all this for all ages. And this applies to, to kids and adults as well. Right. Well, so what's the so what in this, right? It's a sort of, a, I, I really get the complexity of this and I want to make it practical for our listeners and say, so, so what can we do to help ourselves with the sensory overload to help our kids? If we know, how do we notice when our kids are in sensory overload? I mean, what do we do with this? Yes. So what we do with this is a couple of things. Be aware of the cost of that load and the timing. And we can talk about that a little bit more and also be mindful of a varied sensory experience. So we all kind of have patterns and routines. We do the same thing all day, every day. I spend a lot of time on on Zoom calls. And so that's one sensory experience, but I don't spend a lot of time barefoot in the grass outside. (laughs) So thinking about, and, and specifically for our kids, how can we vary their sensory exposure and experience so that we're activating and engaging all the sensory pathways, which include, you know, sight, touch, smell, but it's also that awareness of myself. Interoception is now considered one of the sensory pieces as well of, I know when I'm running behind, I'm going to feel a little more tense and stressed, that awareness of how I feel, um, as well as proprioception is considered a sense as well as that awareness of my body and space. And so if I'm walking and I, you know, bruise my leg because I tripped on the coffee table again, that was a a lack of awareness of my body and space. And so thinking about ways to provide our kids smell stimulation when you're cooking in the kitchen, have them stick their nose in the oregano as you're making pasta sauce and let them experience that. And also doing activities of, you know, gosh, I see that you're really getting frustrated right now. How are you feeling? And if they can't verbalize it, just having them stop and think about how they're feeling. My you know, frustration is starting to escalate. My shoulders are going to get tense. My facial expression is going to change. Maybe I'm crossing my arms and giving you a like, I dare you kind of look. Bringing awareness to those pieces to our kids exercises different components of those sensory pieces. So, you know, what just comes up is when we started this conversation and, and sadly, we need to wrap this conversation. But when we started, we were having a major technical glitch. And so before, when we finally got it fixed and we, before we started, we kind of stopped and we said, okay, let's everybody take a breath. Let's regroup. Let's calm ourselves down, calm down our nervous system before we moved into this conversation. And that's really what I hear you speaking to is to slow down and be aware of what's happening in our brains and our bodies so that we can process it more fluidly and comfortably. hundred percent. And that's something that we can watch and help regulate and modulate for our kids. Our kids don't always have the ability to recognize when they're reaching their threshold of too much. And so watching your child to see when there's a shift and there's a change in their demeanor, a change in their mood, a change in their actions, that that can be a signal that, hey, I'm going to step in and help them regulate right now. So I'm going to reduce their sensory exposure. So there's less load on their brain so we can get through an upcoming (laughs) tough moment or potentially tough moment. 
So Rebecca, we need to wrap this conversation. Tell us, tell people how they can find out more about you and Brain Balance. Sure. Brainbalance.com is our website where you can learn much more about the program. Um, You can learn more about me at drrebeccajackson.com. I go hand in hand with Brain Balance. I've been with the company for over 14 years as we continue to learn and evolve and grow with the research to do the best we can to help support kids and adults. I got to ask just really quickly, because at the beginning, you said you were just happened to be taking a class on neurodiversity and I neurology of pediatric disorders. And I was laughing. I'm like, most people don't just happen to be taking a class on the neurology of pediatric disorders. So did you have the doctor before you got into this or did that come as a result? I had that before. So my original background, I was a chiropractor in private practice for years and sold my practice uh, when my husband's job moved us to North Carolina. But Got it. Found through school, I loved neurology. So anything I could do to learn more about the brain, it felt like magic to me, but with an explanation. Um, so the, anything I could do to learn more about the brain, I was I was up for. That's great. So Rebecca, as we wrap up, you know, either summarize for us kind of what you heard this conversation, or if there was something we missed that you want to make sure we, we bring back in, yeah, how would you I wrap this like up? This conversation is tip of the iceberg for, for so many interesting and, and exciting things to delve into. But to summarize, I think it's so important for people to know, even if you're facing a challenge right now with working memory, with attention, with sensory overload with yourself or your child, that the brain can change. Research over the past two decades has really evolved to show that change is possible. And then by exercising and engaging networks and pathways in the brain is how that brain changes. And when it comes to a take home tip for yourself and your kids is being purposeful and mindful of a variety exposures to different sensory experiences um, to help to stimulate and engage all of the different sensory networks and pathways in the brain and being mindful of when you or your child has reached their limit to turn down the volume on that to regroup. Well, what's really interesting, and and I don't want to take us down a rabbit hole, but we do some work with a company called Positive Intelligence, and there's a huge amount of research on it and what they're teaching people to do to manage stress and reduce triggers and saboteur voices and all of that is what I call mini sensory mindfulness exercises. So it's very much what you're describing, which is get in touch with touch or smell or sight or sound and just for 20 seconds, and that can really ground your system. Bring you back in the moment. Yeah, Yeah. quite amazing. All right, my friend, uh, let's wrap up with our last favorite fun question, which is, do you have a quote or motto that you want to share with our community? You know, (laughs) something that's always driven me in my life is do the right thing for the right reason. So there's so many directions that we can go in life with things. And I get so excited about different projects. But when I press pause and say, what am I doing and why? That's been sort of my personal compass in life. And so um, always do the right thing for the right reason, whether it's professionally, whether it's parenting, whether it's equipping my own kids to make decisions as they're facing things in life. So not necessarily a quote or motto that pertains to the brain. The personal piece for myself. I think that's beautiful. We have so many different choices that we as parents need to make for our complex kids. And so that's a great reminder that that there's no right right answer and it's not not everything. It's what's next, what's next. Do the right thing for the right reason. It's beautiful. Yeah. 
Thank you. Love that. Thank you so much, Rebecca. It's been great to get to know you a little bit. And um, I know our audience is appreciative of our conversation. And for those of you who are listening, thanks for everything you're doing for yourself and for your kids. At the end of the day, you make the difference. See you next time. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com slash sanity school. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.